I wonder if no matter how much you don't like Donald Trump, if he's not reaching into your pocket, is that enough for you to at least, you know, vote for him, right? And if that, if Warren's the nominee and it's turned into a class warfare type of thing, and it's that aspect, I think Democrats risk losing the basically the never Trump voter. The one thing I would say about Trump is Trump ran by saying everybody in the world who isn't me is stupid, and I'm running against them. I'm running against everybody and everything, mm -hmm. and he got actually elected. I do think he was, yes, a disruptive force, huh. but he was, he and Bernie, you know, it's funny, I always said he and Bernie were sort of collectively, they both found two dead carcasses on the side of the road. One was a donkey, and one was an <laughs> elephant, and they both reanimated it in their own vision, but they were... I mean, neither Bernie or Donald even wanted to be Democrat or Republican, right? Right. They just wanted to run for president, and they found the fastest. They found, oh, there's a carcass. I can reanimate that. Let's go. And Trump's created a Frankenstein version of the Republican Party. And you could argue that what's going to happen on the left here with Sanders is he's inspiring a, a sort of a reanimated Frankenstein version of the Democratic uh, Party. That's all we need. Thank you, Chuck. What the hell is that? What would you say you do here? It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Very hard to say my name correctly. You're like Brian. Yeah, <laughs> Brian. Yeah. What's your deal, man? Your midweek download destination. I like his style. It's a sort of casual elegance. I'm slaying lame and I'm exposing frauds. This is pathetic. This is embarrassing. Mic drop. Turn off the podcast. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. And note to self, don't die. Welcome in, everybody. It is the Stone On Air podcast, the supposed for-profit venture. Weekly, named the Weekly Dose for whatever date that it happens to be. This go-around, it happens to be February 20th, 2019. Lots to get to today. I'm actually excited, pumped up about today's show. And what I mean by pumped up is, is when you've got at least what I believe is real content, good production, and um, lots of time spent on what it is you're working at, regardless of what it is, but certainly in a just spoken word format like this, it makes it fun. When you have to stretch and you have to, you know, scrape and claw to try to find anything, it becomes more of a chore. It becomes more of a job. And it's not live radio. I've talked about this in the past. Live radio is is not the same thing as a podcast. I mean, other than the fact that they sound similar, there's almost nothing else that's even kind of similar about it. Live radio is exhilarating. Live radio is, uh, is so much fun. This is not exhilarating. This is, uh, it's mildly, tolerably entertaining sometimes. But overall, it's a little bit of a chore. And when I don't have things put together, it makes it, I don't want to say stressful because that's the wrong word, but it certainly makes it for less of a pleasurable experience. Today, I have uh, some stuff I'm going to go into that I think is going to be fun. I think you're going to enjoy it. Three-segment show today. I will get to what that is here in a minute. First, I want to start off with one more trip to the doctor's office. And last one in a while. I'm caught up everywhere. Got my dental cleanings up. I got my uh, my uh, uh, physical the other week, and then I went to my dermatologist for the first time in forever because all of a sudden my face has uh, turned into a mess. And um, 
once again, sitting in waiting rooms, once again, dealing with the health care in, uh, in this country all the way around is annoying. But I have now been sitting in waiting rooms for going on about an hour and a half in the last five or six days. And I just couldn't help but while I was sitting there think of the old Seinfeld gag. It's that little bit of arrogance in the medical community I think we could all live without. Like when you go to see the doctor, you don't see the actual doctor first. You must wait in the waiting room. There's no chance of not waiting. That's the name of the room. And you sit there, you pretend you're reading your little magazine, you're actually looking at the other people. I wonder what he's got. That guy's a goner. And so then you finally get out of the waiting room and you feel good. You feel better about the situation until they just put you in a smaller, more boring waiting room. Then they call you. You get very excited when they call you because you think now you're going to see the doctor. But you're not. Now you're going into the next smaller waiting room. Now you don't even have your magazine. Now you got your pants around your ankles. You're sitting on that butcher paper they pull out over the table. (laughs) Yeah, two can play at this waiting game. Just once I'd like to say to the doctor, you know what? I'm not ready for you yet. Why don't you go back in your little office? I'll be in in a minute. And so luckily I didn't have my pants around my ankles or anything like that. But I was spending a lot of time in waiting rooms. But at the end result of it all, even though the uh, healthcare system in this country irritates the hell out of me, it all worked out pretty well for me in the end. And I'm lucky because I don't pay attention to that kind of stuff enough. And it could have been way worse than it was. One more thing before I lay out the show. The Chattanooga Bystander does it again. Chattanooga Bystander does it again. Think the onion, meaning satire and fake news long before it was ever uh, coined that. TVA accidentally releases the Kraken during flood preparations. Release the Kraken. During preparations for the possible historic flooding this week, it was announced that TVA engineers accidentally released the Kraken while emptying out water reservoirs. Sources say that while TVA was working with the Army Corps of Engineers to prepare for excessive water levels, the Navy, Air Force, Marines, and new Space Force have been additionally called in to deal with the recently released Kraken. Release the Kraken! Things are running rather smoothly as we begin emptying the locks in the prep. Oh, shit! (laughs) Explained TVA engineer Randy Davis while being dragged into the depths of Lake Chickamauga by the mythical Kraken. Release the Kraken! I honestly, I didn't even, I don't even remember what that movie's from. Uh, I know it's, what is it? I, uh, let's see, I wrote it down. Oh, that Clash of the Titans, Clash of the Titans. I never watched that movie, but thought that was quite good. As always, the Chattanooga Bystander does it again. And as I say that, I had just noticed that I'm getting a little bit of a, well, maybe more than a little bit of lightning as the rain is coming down, as this is recorded on Tuesday the 19th at uh, late at night or in the evening, late evening anyway. And there's some thunder in the area. So if you hear any crashes uh, or any noises in the background, that is going to be what that is. All right. So coming up in the final segment of the show, just simply put, Greta Van Fleet is awful. 
I absolutely am tired of this band. The more I look into them, the more I read about them, the more I understand them, they infuriate me. They are ripoffs. That's just plain and simple. They're ripoffs. And Robert Plant agrees with me. I'll have a short clip that I found from uh, YouTube of Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin talking about this band, Greta Van Fleet. Uh, they're young people. They uh, seem to be, you know, somewhat talented. It would appear. I guess I don't know. Watch a couple live performances that were less than um, less than stellar. But overall, I think it's an absolute joke. And I'm not the only one. That'll be the third segment. And I will have some examples of some of their songs and how similar they are to Led Zeppelin songs. And in the second segment of the show, the last time I predicted something that Donald Trump would do, I got it right. That was back in 2016. I was going to pull the audio, but I got sick of pulling audio, so I'm not going to do any more of that. I'll just uh, tell you about what I was talking about a couple of years ago. And since the idea of, of this segment got put together, Bernie is in. Feeling the burn. Hashtag feel the burn. I'll get into that a little bit. And that was all going to be part of the conversation I was going to have with you anyway. And how what Bernie is doing actually will help my prediction of what Don Trump is going to do next. And uh, the precedent of declaring an emergency when there isn't one. I'm not the only one by far from either party that thinks this has got potential problems written all over it. Hey, let's declare an emergency when there isn't one. Yeah, that's not going to be good. We'll talk about that in the second segment of the show. But right off the top here, I am going to get just, at least for now, until things shake out more, if I can find somebody to talk to me on the phone about it, a little uh, clarification from last week's show about the Riverfront Management contract and the struggle between city council, the mayor, uh, the parks and rec department, for lack of a better way of understanding how they call that exactly, and uh, and Chip Baker and Chattanooga Presents and Friends of the Festival. Some some information that I most definitely got wrong, um, but I mentioned right off the top last week, I don't have an investigative staff, and I, I didn't have time to figure out everything I was looking at here, and I got a few things wrong. If anything, it might have opened up new questions, but I'm gonna I want to clarify those things that I got wrong, and then look at this Chattanooga Times Free Press that uh, story that came out over the weekend on the 15th or 16th, excuse me, on Saturday, uh, talking about this and how they're the mayor's going in different directions, and just to point out as always, if well, if they're talking about it today. Uh, it was on this show very likely last week. So let's get into it, and I'll tell you what I messed up. And just a quick preface before I get into that, I'm going to assume you're caught up on this. I don't want to annoy my regular listeners with resetting a bunch of stuff that they already know. The last podcast you can listen to if you need to stop this one and go back if you'd like to know what this is all about. Or fast forward all the way to the Greta Van Fleet uh, segment and just listen to how stupid that band sounds. All right? So we're on the same page there. So after last week's show... After I was uh, first saw the article about Chattanooga Presents winning the bid and then having it voted as a, a well in a deadlock by city council, I got a text from somebody who knows what they're talking about within the walls of areas of people in the know. It said, "Listening to your podcast anytime, I can offer background info, whatever. Happy to." I said, "Thanks. I'll keep that in mind. I should have already thought of that. This one in particular, I threw together quickly." said, I know, and it was confusing and poorly reported and wrong. A couple of things. Carla and the Chattanooga Downtown Partnership worked for River City and Kim White. I speculated that they had some kind of working uh, relationship last week. I didn't know what it was, and I did say that out loud that I wasn't sure which one it was, and he says, not the other way. Then the other one says, 
and the 30000 that's the 15-plus for both years, more than the old contract with Friends of the Festival, went from 55000 to 70000 Carla gets that money, not the other way around. The bid is for what the city pays out. I was under the impression that these were bids that private companies were paying the city to operate the uh, the events and then then get the profits off of the events that came in. That's just ignorance that I have to the way that, uh, that that city planning and city organizing and event planning is. It's not my expertise by any stretch of the imagination. So that absolutely changes everything. Everything. If the city is handing out money to have this managed, again, maybe again, maybe I'm dumb. I'm a dumb guy. If that changes everything and makes the backroom deals even more more skeptical and who chip baker is or isn't in the pockets of so yeah now of course i understand why there was so much uh confusion amongst who was going to vote the way they did or didn't why did the mayor pick chattanooga presents over uh the friends of the festival and why even more a question did he want did he award it for fifteen thousand more dollars a year that's a massive percentage increase just because i despise chip baker and overall have trouble with the way uh, the friends of the festival has been run over the last decade and a half doesn't mean that i'm overly playing favorites here i know people who know carla and think she's one of the most wonderful people you'll ever meet the little interaction i've had with her she is fantastically fine got no problem but it's still a question that i would ask out loud and i'm doing right now why did the mayor decide to change the chattanooga presents and why was there such a percentage increase on, uh, on what that contract pays. And why, even more, has he now decided to say, all right, I'm tearing it up, I'm done, neither of you are getting it, I'm keeping it in-house. These are all legitimate questions that I would be very interested to know the answers to. So now I shift towards a little read to you radio, which I'll try to get through this as quickly as possible. I just want to give some quotes and uh, a, a better written article than the one I read last week. Or no, that was about 10 days ago now. This was by Tyler Jett from the Times Free Press. The headline, after protest and a failed vote, neither Chattanooga Presents nor Friends of the Festival will manage Chattanooga's waterfront. Chattanooga Presents President Carla Pritchard, who won the contract, to manage the park in September, said she received an email from the city's purchasing department around 3.20 this past Friday explaining the city had canceled the agreement, instead saying city employees will handle management of the park. Pritchard was stunned. Quote, there is a concern on a lot of people's parts, she said. They saw this as a potential. There was a lot of concern voice about what happens now. Who's going to be dedicating all the time to it? It's a big job and not to be taken lightly. We put a lot of thought into this over the course of these months. She continues, I'm assuming they have a plan. I don't know what it might be. I just think it's a shame. I'm disillusioned that the good old boy system seems to be so strong here in Chattanooga. It's an opportunity lost for the community in my mind. I wish nothing but the best for the waterfront. And that's the best thing she could have said there. It is the good old boy network once again controlling everything around here and get used to it. That's not going to change anytime soon. Continues here with a piece from Tyler Jett. Chip Baker, a Hamilton County commissioner, which pays $20,000 a year, by the way, and executive director of Friends of the Festival, which I have every reason to believe is a six-figure income, appealed the following day after the city's decision. He said the bid process was unfair on two grounds. First, he said the committee chose Pritchard because she lobbied to bring more events to the riverfront. Baker said that isn't technically what the city requested. 
the city simply asks for someone to manage the events that come to the park. All right, whatever. Second, Baker argued the process was tainted because Chattanooga Open Spaces Activation and Engagement Specialist Jonathan Sussman, friend of mine, sat on the panel. Sussman happened to work for Chattanooga Presents in 2004. I don't want to fight people. I've never been in a fist fight. I've never been in any kind of physical altercation with anybody. I would like to fist fight Chip Baker. I mean, it's how much I dislike this slime ball. This, Jonathan Sussman has nothing more to do with Chattanooga Presents or Carla Pritchard than anybody else who's had any kind of interaction over the years who do events downtown. Give me a GD break. Good Lord, this son of a bitch. On October 5th, Chattanooga Purchasing Director Bonnie Woodward rejected the appeal, saying Sussman had no personal interest in Chattanooga Presents. Baker appealed again. Of course he did. On November 16th, City Attorney Phil Noblet also rejected that appeal. In parentheses, Baker contends city officials never fully addressed his complaint. Then there's all the talk about the city council and why Carol Burst was my biggest question, why she abstained from voting. Back to Tyler Jets Pete's District 6 council, City Councilwoman Carol Burtz abstained from voting on the 5th, but Tuesday she asked to bring the issue back up on the agenda. She, sh- she said she sat out the previous vote because of Baker's complaints about the process, but after talking with city officials, she felt comfortable voting the issue. The council placed the item on the February 26th, Agenda. Okay, well, just get here when you can, Carol. Just whenever, whenever you're ready, whenever you, you got some free time, we'll uh, we'll vote on some city matters here, I guess is how this works. So it jumps down here to uh, just after the original vote, Baker told, uh, Chip Baker told the Times Free Press, quote, it's been a privilege to work with the city. We are here to help. Well, uh, on Wednesday, one week ago from the day this podcast was available for download, uh, Chip Baker said during the interview, quote, We've always had a great relationship with the city. To be treated like this, the way we were treated, was just not fair. It wasn't right. We put $100,000 into the waterfront. We paid out of our own pockets $100,000. Yeah, right. Sure you did, you liar. There's no chance. Not a chance in hell. The chip baker put $100,000 of, of, of one. There's not a chance he put a, a five cents of his own money into anything. This guy is backroom dealing everything he does ever since the minute he's able to get a, a, a touch of power from the school board to the Hamilton County Commission to the to the Friends of the Festival, nonprofits, and everything else he can get his hands in. If he's not making bukus of cash off of it, he's not involved. And if he's going to lose money, he's going to do whatever it takes to, to, to grease palms, make backroom deals, stop city councilmen and women from voting. He's got conflict of interest somewhere surely involved with being on the county commission and based on how the money he does and doesn't spend. That's all the county commission is, is to allocate spending. You don't think the portion of the Hamilton County Commission that he sits on, he doesn't have money appropriated to certain companies and people who are involved with investing or or companies that provide services for the downtown part of the the, the downtown riverfront and Riverbend itself. There's conflict of interest everywhere and somehow Kim White, the president of River City Company, who's been involved with anything revitalization downtown for as long as I can remember any of this ever being a topic in my days of spoken word, radio, and podcasts, somehow she is making there a conflict of interest here. Yeah, I don't know. This guy's a snake. He's a weasel. He'll cheat. He'll lie. He'll do whatever it takes as long as he can make four more dollars. Chip Baker is in the in the neighborhood of making four extra bucks. If he can do it, he'll do it. And if he's going to lose four bucks, he'll he'll stop at nothing and undercut anybody 
to keep his best interest, his cohort's best interest, his cronies, his city council people in his pocket, his Hamilton County commissioners that are in on, on his side because there's a power structure in there when assholes like Tim Boyd are on that commission. There's all kinds of conflicts of interest. And yes, yes, as Carla said, this is the good old boy network of Chattanooga doing what it does. It goes on to continue for another full page, which I'm not going to get into. It talks about Carla's relationship with um, Mayor Ron Littlefield uh, from, I guess his run would have been after Bob Corker, who is, was first into the U.S. Senate in 2006. So whatever exactly those years are, I'm not entirely sure. But I'll just uh, I'll just push you towards the direction to read the entire article because there's a lot here. It talks about just conversations over the years about who did or didn't have proposals in and who had heard of what. I kind of just saying it's been a little seems like the fix has been in for a long time over uh, multiple administrations. I'll let you uh, take a look at the rest of that because that's not as important to what we're talking about right now. The bottom line is, is Carla's out. Chip is out. And uh, my guy, Jonathan Sussman's in. And if he can put together a, uh, a team that can that can take care of this r- riverfront and get these events in here and make everybody happy. I mean, if the city of Chattanooga wants to have vent- events on city property and they have a you know a version of a parts parks and rec department and a logistical coordinators and all these other uh, staff members well maybe they should be doing it maybe they shouldn't be giving fifty five thousand dollars a year to chip baker and friends of the festival to do it maybe they shouldn't be raising it up a large percentage inexplicably for carla and chattanooga presents to seventy thousand dollars a year and i'm not totally playing favorites just because i think chip baker is a scumbag i'm just why why, why spend that money? Now I understand why the city council had a little bit of a back and forth on it. We've already got people maybe that can do this. Carla's not sure. Carla doesn't think for sure that that's possible. I don't know enough about it to, to have an opinion either way. But, man, I guess thinking the power struggle between the two soccer teams was something. The power struggle with who is going to handle the management of the 21st century waterfront, which brings in a lot of money and a lot of, uh, and a lot of good events, is certainly a power struggle here in February of 2019. Coming up next, the President of the United States is trying to declare an emergency where there isn't one, and can you feel it? What is that? What is? What do I feel over there? What is? What? It's getting a little warm. Oh, that's the burn. Hashtag feel the burn. That is coming up next. Stone on air. We'll be right back. Oh, darling, what juicy gossip I have for all listeners. About a dozen Republican senators have voiced their opposition to Trump declaring a national emergency to build his silly wall. I don't think he should do that. I think it's a bad precedent and it contravenes uh, the power of the purse that comes from the elected representatives of the people. I don't think it's a a good idea. I think it would be a terrible idea. I hope he doesn't do it. I think it's a dangerous uh, step. One, because of the precedent it sets. Two, uh, the president's going to get sued and it won't succeed in accomplishing uh, his goal. I am concerned about it. I think it's of dubious constitutionality. This would just be another erosion of, of congressional authority in this particular area. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is cautioning the president against using his emergency powers to bypass Congress and build that wall. A White House official telling ABC News the president is aware that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is against using emergency powers to bypass Congress. This would be viewed as as an expansion of executive authority that we just don't want to go down that road. 
several members of Congress, mostly Republican, showing their displeasure with the idea of declaring a national emergency at the southern border. Get back to that shortly. This is one of my favorite local bands. They're called Kerchief. You've heard me talk about them before if you've been around much. And I love them. Love them. This is a new one of theirs. Jesus, I'm sorry. I don't remember what it's called. I didn't write it down. Just released it. Evil Parts. There it is. Evil Parts. I think. (laughs) I I hope. Technically, I'm pretty sure they're out of Cleveland. I know they're out from towards that direction anyway. Their CD release party is going to be at JJ's on March 1st, Friday night. Damn it, why does it have to be a Friday? Why can't anything I want to do these days be on a Saturday? But yeah, they, they've got some of the best social media presence, some of the most uh, following, some of the best production of their music and music videos of any band in Chattanooga. But most, nobody in Chattanooga knows much about them. And I don't know if that's because they just spend their time regionally more than locally. I don't know. I'm not saying that's bad or good. I'm just saying it's the truth. Kerchief. March 1st at JJ's CD release party. Alright, so you know, I don't like to spend a lot of time talking deep politics on the show. I mean, you know where I come from um, for the most part on things. I don't really need to overly explain that. And um, I try to be fair, and I try to put things in perspective. Sometimes I'm, I don't do that. Sometimes I'm not fair. Sometimes my perspective is off, but that's the goal anyway. And this idea that Don Trump is going to declare an emergency at the, um, at, the, uh, uh, at the southern border is, it is a little dangerous. And I remember these, these things first coming up when I was just starting to understand how national politics worked and um, we were at war. You know, I'm, I'm 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29 during that whole stretch of the first decade of this century. Uh, just starting to become a, a, a really a fully functional adult. It's my opinion that you're 25 years old if you're lucky before you can completely form your personality, form your thoughts, and become uh, the ultimate maturity is still a very young person. And I remember talking on the air with Jeff and other people, Jeff Stiles and other Jim Reynolds and others from the old talk station um, when when George W. Bush was, was doing things and saying, that's great and all, but what happens when a Democrat gets here and wants to do those same kind of overreaching of powers? People certainly said that about President Obama. He had so many executive uh, orders over the years. I I remember when uh, Don Trump first started doing some of his executive orders, and I saw some of my super liberal friends like, I don't understand. What's going on here? How can he do this? Well, just because you don't pay attention and really understand the process doesn't mean that this is is unprecedented because President Obama did it a lot, and every administration does it more. And what does that do? It sets precedents. And precedents are very, very important unto how we decide 
what is and isn't fair, what is and isn't right. Just think about it. What we're living in right now is precedent setting for the next two or three administrations and for the next generation and a half, if not every generation going forward. Think None of us thought the way we do now two and a half, three, four years ago. None of us had this this just this edge, this this carelessness, this you know just being satisfied by the factless world we live in. This stuff didn't used to be uh, it didn't used to be okay. It wasn't acceptable. And now because of the world, the digital uh, social media world we live in and a bombastic demagogue for a leader, we're setting a precedent for the next 10, 20 years on what we do and don't find acceptable. All right. That's a little bit further off from where I was exactly trying to go. Just trying to make the point of how precedents are very, very important. And what we're doing right now is putting ideas in future leaders' heads. Future, uh, sometimes maybe you can look at as being innovative minds, or maybe you can think of as being foolish minds. Regardless, new ideas are brewing within parties that are established now, or parties that might be in the political world and system in the next generation and a half. Oh yeah? You don't want to do anything about climate change? Guess what I'll do? I'll declare it a national emergency. Oh yeah? You're not concerned about the $1.1 trillion of student loan debt collectively in this country that is about ready to bankrupt our entire economic system? That's fine. It's all good. I'll just declare it a national emergency. Oh yeah? Well, you don't want to overturn Roe v. Wade? I will declare it a national emergency. Our children are dying everywhere in schools. Guns are killing everybody. Oh, you don't want to do anything about it? You're you're not you're not compassionate. You don't care. Then I'll just declare it a national emergency. This is not a very good road to go down. Just think about when national emergencies have been declared in your lifetime. At least in my lifetime. Oh, I don't know. Let's think. Katrina first comes to mind. Let's think of another one. Sandy. Uh, Hurricane Sandy in 2012, uh, every hurricane <laughs> since then, since when in any of those times in your life, uh, as a president, has, as, a, as, a, as a country collectively said, this is a national emergency, and anybody said, nope, not, not happening, suing the president, suing the president over declaring a national emergency over a hurricane. This is, I'm furious. This is an outrage. No, of course not, because national emergencies are, are only declared when there actually is one. <sighs> okay, all right. So that's part one to all of this. The second part to this, talking about Don Trump and who might or might not be president for the next couple of six years. Um, I said back in 2016, and it's the only audio I didn't get around to pulling today, and I just I ran out of time, and I uh, it's it's archived on my SoundCloud page or through the uh, the RSS feed which you can find if you're not listening to it through a podcast app, Stone on Air, all in word, search it out if you happen to be somewhere other than the uh, the actual RSS feed. But I said that I believed, and I meant it. Now, I was still shocked to, to no end when it happened, but I meant it. I thought there was a pretty good chance that Don Trump was going to be elected president in 2016. That's how bad of a candidate that Hillary Clinton was. I mean, she was awful. It just didn't work out. Well, it just it nothing was going well for her on a regular basis. So she held her own 
and 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 the race was was strong, and I thought she had a very good chance to win. But I thought there was a, a, a just as good a chance that uh, Don Trump was going to end up winning the presidency. And I said that well before the election, and it happened. And I am convinced he's going to win again. And I'm not so sure that's such a bad thing. Our attention spans are absolute shit. We cannot remember anything, not from one week to the next. And I, I don't think it's long run going to be that big a deal because it's the same thing I said the week that he was elected. Extreme politics don't hold up. What gave us Donald Trump as president of the United States was the, uh, the country going so strong and hard left and liberal where bathroom bills, extreme political correctness, just really overall the whiny it's not fair types really started to just, it, it started to get, it, it wore out its welcome. And then when a bombastic figure comes along and emboldens a whole bunch of people, it changes the way they react to things. That can happen just as quickly here again, and I don't believe that it can happen. I believe it absolutely will happen. Thing is, is two years isn't a long time. Four years isn't really all that long either. Six is starting to be a little bit of a time, and eight certainly is amount of time that can be a game changer for anybody's life. If you know, if your life doesn't shift between now and eight years from now, or where we sit now, now and six years from now, well, then you're not living a very uh, inspiring life all the way around anyway. Most people's do. And when extreme politics, man, that was some strong thunder, uh, it, when extreme politics are, are pushed upon the other side, they fight back. They fight back. And that is what has happened now from 2008 to, to, to 2016. That happened and shifted everything. And that's going to happen again. I think Don Trump's going to win this election because until Bernie got in, which I'll get to that in a minute, uh, Elizabeth Warren was about the best hope the Democrats had. And she's a kook. She's, I, I, she has no business being the, the president. She says stupid things all the time. Can you, I mentioned it last week. Can you imagine those two debating each other? Good Lord, it'd be Saturday morning cartoons as our presidential debates. And I don't think, I, I honestly don't think I, w- I want Elizabeth Warren president. I, I mean, I want anybody president other than Don Trump. But you get my point. Where that has changed is feel the burn is back. Feel the burn is back. I didn't think it was possible. Bernie Sanders is back, baby. Real change never takes place from the top on down, but always from the bottom on up. Bernie Sanders' healthcare for all idea is gaining steam. Free tuition, free college tuition, free tuition champion, Senator Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders added, the greatest threat to national security is climate change. The future of our planet is at stake. Sanders taking on Amazon. Bernie Sanders has been consistent hammering about income inequality. Nobody in America works 40 hours a week should be living in poverty. So our economy is rigged. We have a campaign finance system which is corrupt. Sanders leading the charge to stop war against Yemen. The first time ever the Senate has voted to end an unauthorized war. The fight against injustice has been the work of his life. Jobs and education, not jails and incarceration. We are not going to retreat on women's rights. 
Sanders pushing a bold agenda that includes protecting DACA recipients and comprehensive immigration reform. You don't rip little children away from the arms of their mother. A major announcement from Amazon. Amazon will raise its minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour. 350,000 workers, thousands of workers at Disney World will get raises. It's a victory for Bernie Sanders. It's a victory for all workers. Brothers and sisters, we have a lot of work in front of us. If we are prepared to stand together, there is no end to what the great people of our nation can accomplish. Now, I don't believe that Bernie Sanders is ever going to be president of this country. I'm not entirely certain that I think that he should be. I would prefer him over Don Trump, but I, 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 I have some serious questions about a lot of the things that Bernie Sanders preaches. But overall, he makes a whole bunch of sense, and he always has. He's the only guy who's been saying what he means since the beginning. I've done whole segments on this. You can pull his audio from uh, from C-SPAN and his, you know, in front of Congress since however long back his, his whole damn life he's been doing this. The guy's never changed his stance on anything. And man, wow, that rain is coming down. I don't know if you guys can uh, hear that or not but so here's the deal i i am closer to a socialist than any than than a full you know unbridled um, um capitalist socialism has become a bad word communism was the first word that was turned into a bad word in the 60s by the basic definition of it there's nothing wrong with it it's totalitarianism that is so frightening and dangerous. Ask the average numbnut walking down the street what a totalitarian is, and he couldn't tell you. Uh, just been all the boomers and younger you know, Gen Xers have been told communism is bad all their year. Hey, you know, it's not what I know, it's what I hear. And now the word, and, and Trump's using this, that's their new strategy. It's a new strategy here. Demonize the word socialism, and that might help continue to keep the dullards uh, confused and uh, and maybe you, they'll be able to squeak this election out, which I think they will be able to. But here's the deal. Guess what? Every single generation is more liberal than the last. There is no exception, not in modern America. That's why I love the idea that Bernie's getting back in here. I love the idea that he's going to be out there continuing this march across America to continue to, to, to bring awareness Awareness is so important. Um, excitement, uh, reason to believe, all these things are so important. And over the next two years and over the next six years, middle schoolers will become high schoolers who will become voting age. High schoolers will become college students who will become voting age. And people will look around and realize we are drowning in student loan debt. The system is not working for us. They're lying to us. They're tricking us. They're manipulating us. This is all happening. This is not some kind of conspiracy theory. I lived it. I've done it. I'm not a moron. And it, hap- it basically almost happened to me as well. The system doesn't work the way it is presently for the rest of our lives. And it's going to take somebody like Bernie Sanders and then a disciple of him over the course of the next decade to make real change. All right, It's not going to happen overnight. And it's not going to happen in two years. But think about this. And once upon a time, however long ago, I didn't do any research on this before I started the show, having publicly funded education K through 12 by, I would say, a large percentage of the, of the country, of the electorate, was probably looked down upon as a bad idea and a waste of money. 
by certain people. Just think about it. We're going back to bumpkin land here. Well, we don't need to be paying for this for all these kids to go to school. You want to go to school? Put them in school yourself. I promise you that was a reality. There's always old fuddy-duddies always fighting back at the next progressive idea. It's been happening forever. It's going to happen and continue for now. And if Bernie can continue to push that message, yes, there should be available with some kind of qualifications, education available to all. K through 12 and the broken ass system we have as it is now is barely enough to get anybody smart enough to tie their own damn shoes. We need more educated people and we don't need government subsidized student loans. Hey, you want to talk about getting the government out of your business? How about we stop federally insuring loans for creditless brain damaged kids to go to college to so-called be educated while making third party banks filthy rich in the process. How about we stop doing that? Why is the government involved in that? Meanwhile, kids are getting out of college drowning in debt and have no real direction of what they're trying to do because of the delusional nature of the boomers to Gen X to where we're at now. And how about we get out of the business of healthcare for profit? What healthcare for profit has done in this country has bred more disease. It's a reason why AIDS, HIV, quote unquote, can't be cured. It's a reason why people live with their with their symptoms and don't get them cured. And then you get the, the just the dipshits of this of this world doing. Oh well, how about you ask a Canadian what they think about their national healthcare? Or why don't you talk to somebody in a an insert country here. Listen up, dickheads. I've talked to plenty of people from Canada. I've talked to plenty of people from Belgium. I've talked to more than a person or two from the UK. Not heard from them. Didn't just hear about it. Didn't just read it on a Facebook thread. Had face-to-face, sit-down conversations or on the phone on, on radio shows or other capacities I've had and talked to people from these area areas who are beyond satisfied. It's a cultural change. It's not just dollars and cents. It's not just taxes exactly. It's an entire culture change to how they use their healthcare system. We have created an entirely dependent, drugged out, zombified population in this country that rely on the dizzying effects of of healthcare for profit. Healthcare should be a right. Yep, I said it. I believe you were born in this country and you follow some parameters and some guidelines. Healthcare should be available to you. Not just affordable healthcare, like like affordable housing. What the hell does that mean? Healthcare should be something provided. And it is a cultural change and it is a generational change. Doesn't just happen with a piece of legislation. It's something that happens over the course of a generation and a half where people realize as we get more and more liberal that these things are important. Now, if if somebody's bottom line is all that matters, if if somebody is only concerned about piling up as much money or more money than anybody else and possessions and materialistic lifestyle is all that anybody cares about, then of course I see why you don't agree with me. I, of course I see why that person thinks that I'm being ridiculous and, and delusional and unreasonable. But I, I, I'm a humanitarian at heart. I'm an asshole at times and I am selfish as I could be. But deep down, there are lots of democratic socialism, as Bernie calls it, that are really good policies and can be paid for. They absolutely can be. But you know, people just see memes and see people talking on social media and then we demonize words 
And Trump's about to do that more than he's ever done. Socialism, he's going to be hammering on that, especially when Bernie's in now. <laughs> you think all the uh, all the uh, the rednecks around the southeast and and the Yonkers up uh, up north who voted for this guy, they're gonna. This is going to be red meat. They're going to be gnawing on in the front yard with blood running down their face. <laughs> Socialism, terrible, horrible. They don't even know what it is. Define it, dipshit. Define it. That person can't do it. So, yeah, I don't think that Bernie Sanders is going to win the presidency in 2020, but I think that his uh, his campaign is going to continue that uh, that awareness that needs to be out there for generational change. All right. That's uh, that should be it for now. I think it is. Yeah. Been going this for a few minutes now. Let's do the final segment. Let's have a little bit of fun and get away from all this mess. Greta Van Fleet, you might have heard of this band. They're young kids, early 20s, and they sound exactly like another band. That band is called Led Zeppelin, and even the lead singer of that band, Robert Plant, thinks what they're doing is stupid. And in the end, it's a microcosm of everything I was just talking about. Creativeless, uniqueless, talentless, dumbed down anything works in this country, and this is a perfect example. I'll get to that coming up next on the Stone On Air podcast for February 20th. 2019. I'll be right back. And they're gaining some massive traction among rock fans for one polarizing reason. They're reminding everyone of legendary rock band Led Zeppelin with near-identical vocals, the same drum kit used by John Bonham, and even similar riffs. This is Zeppelin's The Rover from their 1975 album Physical Graffiti. And this is Greta Van Fleet's breakout single, Highway Tune. pretty uncanny. On one side, we have those saying they're too similar to Led Zeppelin's sound, that they're boring, blatant ripoffs, and have yet to bring anything new to the table. And on the other side, we have those who are happy to have a band reviving the hard rock sound of the 70s, bringing it to a new generation of listeners, and into a market that's oversaturated with R&B and hip-hop. There's a band in Detroit called Greta Van Fleet. They are Led Zeppelin 1. Yeah. It's like the kid looks like he's just dropped out of a kind of a beautiful little singer. Yes. Very small. I've seen them. Yeah. They're really, really young. Yeah. I've seen him. And I hate him. He's, uh, he has got such a huge voice, that young yeah, fellow. Yeah, and he me. borrowed it from somebody I know very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, what are you going to do? Okay, it's have okay. You, have, do you know, has he has he tried to meet you? Have you has he been have been re- No, no, I mean, at least he's got a bit of style, because he said he based his whole style on Aerosmith. So that last voice was Robert Plant saying, yeah, he borrowed that voice from somebody I know really well, and then rolled his eyes as he said, oh, he, he bases his whole stage presence on uh, Aerosmith. Yeah, right. So yeah, this is Greta Van Fleet. You've likely heard of them by now. I'm disgusted by this band. 
disgusted by this stupid band. And at first, I thought, okay, it is nice to have some guitar-driven rock out of young people. But the more I listen to it, it's just a blatant ripoff. This, to me, is nothing different than this than than some record ex- executive you know, pulling out a boy band out of their ass that they found because of, of a YouTube clip or something. This is stupid. It's just stupid music. Um, it's, you know, it, it's somewhat quality as far as they, they have an idea what they're doing. And, and I mean, I've seen some live stuff on some of the, the local TV shows or the you know, late night shows like Fallon and Kimmler or whoever else they were on. And it's, um, I mean, it's, it's at first it's like, okay, a little bit of an homage, I guess. No, no, not a little bit of an homage. This is an absolute ripoff. And I'm going to play some clips that I put together here just to give you an ex- one good example of how similar their music is to Led Zeppelin. Not ju- just that it sounds like Led Zeppelin-ish. Songs that sound exactly like Led Zeppelin songs. That is plagiarism. That is copyright infringement. That is not okay generally speaking. So a quick story and then portions of a piece from Pitchfork, a music reviewing website, uh, online magazine, if you will, and then my clips uh, to putting them side by side. So I'm working at the station, Alt 98.7. We play alternative music from the 90s, from the brand new now, 2000s, that kind of thing. And they're really popular, so it's in the playlist. And I was really pushing my luck being so sarcastic every time I had to have my voice around when one of their songs was about to play. So I tried to stay away from them as much as possible, but after a while when it plays in the playlist so often, you can't. So I would make jokes about, you know, sounding like Led Zeppelin. I can't mean, you know, I'm just I, I'm paraphrasing here. Some I remember there was a Led Zeppelin song in the, the the playlist, and I said, "Hey, how about instead of a band that sounds like Led Zeppelin, how about actually listen to the real band, Led Zeppelin? What do y'all think about that?" And I was wondering when I was going to get an email or a a, a meeting from uh, from any of the suits saying, "Dude, you can't. I know what you're doing. I see what you're doing, but you can't be a, a sarcastic asshole about the music we play on the air." And a a friend of mine ran into my boss, and they told me that he said to tell me that they heard this great new band called Greta Van Fleet, and what do I think? So I think that that's funny that they are, and very super cool that they're being um, that they're being totally chill about it. I, I just I couldn't help it. I just I can't help but mock this band because they're a joke. This is a guy named Jeremy D. Larson, and he is doing a a review of Anthem of the Peaceful Army. That's their uh, only full-length record. This is from Pitchfork, and it is a little scathing. I only only touch on a little bit of it, and uh, here we go. Greta Van Fleet sound like they did weed exactly once, called the cops, and tried to record a Led Zeppelin album before they arrested themselves. The poor kids from Michigan don't even realize they're more of an algorithmic, it's a tough word to say, fever dream than an actual rock and roll band. They are a new kind of vampiric band who's there to catch the runoff of original classic rock using streaming services' data-driven business model. Greta Van Fleet exists to be swallowed into the algorithm's churn and rack-up plays, of which they already have hundreds of millions. They make music that sounds exactly like Led Zeppelin and demand very little other than forgetting how good Led Zeppelin often were. 
And this is a response directly to the uh, to their full-length record itself. Each song here could have been written or played by any of a thousand classic rock cover bands that have standing gigs at sports bars and biker joints across America. So why should Greta Van Fleet be the one signed to Republic Records? Tons of people in those cover bands play their instruments better than Greta Van Fleet, who are currently proficient at best. No one in the band offers anything in the way of personality that doesn't sound like your average YouTube tutorial for a Jimmy Page-type solo or a John Bonham-type shuffle. And then on the way out here at the end. But for as retro as Anthem of the Peaceful Army may seem, in actuality, it is the future. It's proof of concept that in the streaming and algorithm economy, a band doesn't need to really capture the past. It just needs to come close enough so that a computer can assign it to its definite article. The more unique it sounds, the less chance it has to be placed alongside what you already love. So when the Greta Van Fleet of your favorite artist finally lands on your morning playlist, spark up a bowl of nostalgia and enjoy the self-satisfied buzz of recognizing something you already know. It's the cheapest high in music. And I guess in the end, it just comes down to the go with what you know culture we live in, lack of creativity, the lack of uniqueness, and the you know the whole concept of we remake every movie, we reboot every show, whatever. I mean, if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. I, and that's okay. I'm not going to go uh, much more than that. I'm not trying to hate on people. If you think it's good music, listen to it. Don't you know? Don't listen to me. But I'm going to prove to you that this damn band sounds exactly like Led Zeppelin. Not just like, oh, hey, that's a Led Zeppelin sounding band. I mean, damn near plagiarizing. So let's go ahead and get this going here, and then we'll wrap up the show for this week. This is Greta Van Fleet. The song is called "You're the One." You are the one. And at first, I was like, "That's that is actually a pretty good song." I didn't like the other ones as much, but that's got a good uh, a good sound to it. You know why I thought it sounded good? Because it sounds exactly like Led Zeppelin's "Your Time Is Gonna Come." So I'll do a little comparison back and forth here. This is Greta Van Fleet and the intro to "You're the One" on the Stone on Air podcast. All right, see, starts off with a little bit of the intro. Sounds like this is might be a decent. Rock song, we'll see. I like the keyboard. I like the organ there. Sounds good. All right, stop it right there. So the the lyrics are about to start. So we'll go to Led Zeppelin's Your Time Is Gonna Come. Sounds a little different with the organ on the front end as opposed to end to the chorus. Of course, this was 40 years ago. This is the intro to Your Time Is Gonna Come from Led Zeppelin. See, so it doesn't sound the same there, but it's got that slow burn, that slow build with the organ, and then the hit of the crash. It's not the same riff, but it's pretty damn close. So for the fun of it, I decided to stack them on top of each other and see what that sounds like. So we'll go to Splice track one, and this is both those two tracks stacked. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stacked on top of each other. So far, it goes together pretty well.
drum beats right there. It's a little off. But, but, all right, so stop it right there. So there's the first uh, just comparison. Let's now go to the uh, Greta Van Fleet's version when they start the lyrics. So that'd be Greta 2, track 2. So this is right when uh, the lyrics start to You're the One from Greta Van Fleet. Sounds like an alright song. Alright, stop it right there. So that is the first verse leading right up to the chorus from Greta Van Fleet. We will go to Led Zeppelin. So I need Led Zeppelin 2, verse 2. Alright, this is Your Time's Gonna Come right before the lyrics start of the first verse. That's right, I forgot. I really do like this song. Messing around every guy in town. Putting me down for thinking I'm someone new. One of these days, and it won't be long. You look for me, but baby, I'll be gone. And the big difference is, is they have a short little bridge right here. Greta Van Fleet does not have that. Stop it right there. So let's go to Splice 2. Hold on. Let me make sure I get this right. Splice 2 verse. Yes, that's what I'm looking for. Hang on. Let's do that. And this is both of those two tracks I just played put on top of each other. Right there, they're they're almost almost in a duet. It's not quite it's not quite together, but it is so close it almost sounds like that is a duet. So we'll do the final three cuts here, and then call it a, a week for the Stone on Air podcast. This is Greta Van Fleet when it leads up to the chorus of their song. You're the one. Hang on, let's set this. Make sure I'm working on the fly here. All right, let's. This is the chorus to Greta Van Fleet. I mean, like I mentioned, it's a pretty, uh, it's a, it's a pretty nice sounded song. It's real easy to make good sounding songs when you take other people's uh, basic concepts and they just turn them into your own. So this is the chorus of "Your Time Is Gonna Come," the classic from Led Zeppelin.
sounds awfully familiar. Stop it right there, and we'll do the final uh, cut that I have here. This one is the most jumbled up mess of them all. It it just to kind of put the wraps on the the idea, the point I'm trying to make, which I think I've made pretty clear by now that I don't think you needed to hear from me to understand because it's pretty obvious just to the naked ear. But this is now the chorus layered on top of each other of Led Zeppelin's Your Time Is Gonna Come and Greta Van Fleet's You're The One. And absolutely no editing whatsoever to try to put those together. That band is a damn blatant ripoff of Led Zeppelin, and I think it's an absolute joke. If you like it, that's great. And if they make $100 million, good for them. But uh, I don't, I'm not a fan. And that was the point of all this. And I actually had fun uh, cutting those up and putting them together because I wasn't sure. It's like, is this going to be that close? Actually, yeah, it is. And and as growing up, uh, last point here, I play guitar and music and wanted to be a rock and roll star my whole life. And never really was that good was a problem and i would sit down and i'd try to quote unquote write songs i wrote about four or five maybe maybe even a half dozen songs that i was semi close to proud of three for sure that i was very proud of but overall what i found out was that as i was writing songs i realized i was just taking other songs i knew and rearranging them not complete plagiarism, just taking a song because I had that 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 melody in my head and I just kind of uh, mutated it and morphed it into something else. And that's real easy to do when you take someone else's idea and turn it into yours. Anybody with a little bit of talent can do that. It's an entire different world of creativity and and artwork where you you create something that nobody else can do except for you. And that ain't Greta Van Dam Fleet. That's Led Zeppelin. And I'm not even a big Zepp head either. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's all I got. I'm going to get on out of here. I've got a night of watching a little bit of TV before I wrap up and post this. Every Wednesday is when you can find the show. It is your midweek download destination for thousands in the city of Chattanooga. If you're on any podcasting app, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, and they allow you to rate and review and uh, leave a comment or whatever, I encourage you to do that. If you don't want to do that, I don't blame you because if you ask me to do that, the chances are I wouldn't. But uh, I'm kind of a dickhead, and I bet most of my audience is not. Uh, (laughs) Regardless, I love you to death. We'll do it again next week. Will it be, hold on, where's my math on what uh, day of the week it is? Will we be in March by next week? No. We'll be on the final Wednesday of February. Hell, Holy hell, here we go. Almost two months gone into 2019. Time flies, and it ain't got a damn thing to do with whether you're having any fun or not. Y'all have a great one. Do it again next week. See you on the radio, Alt 98.7, Alt98.com, and uh, love you. Mean it. Bye.